Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. I'm really excited for our next guest. I met her on the Joko cruise a few years ago, and uh, we had a great time. Our families ate together. And uh, so I'll, I'll let you know about Kelly Sue. She's a writer. She's best known for comics like Marvel's Captain Marvel, Pretty Deadly with artist Emma Rios, Bitch Planet with artist Valentin Delandro, and DC Comics Aquaman. DeConnick and her husband, Matt Fraction, also consult on feature films and develop television as Milkfed Criminal Masterminds Incorporated. Hey, Kelly Sue, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yay. Thank you for joining us. We're really delighted to hear what kinds of cool stuff you have for us. I am so excited to talk to you. I had a very, very hard time narrowing this down. <laughs> I want you to know that I spent <laughs> way too much time on this. Kelly Sue, tell us about your first tool, which is other people. Yes. Okay. So um, this is a big thing for me in my work and in my life. I am someone who has a tendency to process things best out loud or verbally. Um, and the probably the best tool I have for this is um, something we call in our house, talk to the duck. Now, talk to the duck is one of those apocryphal stories, you know, like the, the, the lady in the elevator, um, or, you know, say it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, this was a friend of mine's aunt or whatever. And <laughs> it turns out, no, no, it's, it was everybody's friend's aunt. And so, so we first heard the story from a friend of ours who worked at Apple and it was a, an engineer at Apple that he knew who had been promoted to, um, overseeing several other engineers. And what he was finding was he wasn't able to get his work done because the people he was then overseeing would come in and interrupt his work in order to uh, talk about problems that they were having. And it was part of his job, you know, as their mm -hmm. manager then to, to be available for that. But um, he found that very often he said nothing and that they would always, they would end up solving their own problem in formulating the question. And so he instituted, instituted a policy wherein they needed to stop outside of his office where he had a decoy duck. Um, and before they could interrupt his work, they needed to first ask the duck the question. Uh, and if the duck was not able to solve the problem, then they were more than welcome oh. to knock on the door and interrupt. Okay, so, so, so this is a, like a rubber duck sitting there, and they come up to it, and they have to first ask the duck, their, tell the duck the problem. And the idea is that in trying to describe it to this inner duck, you'll actually maybe even realize what the solution is, and then you don't have to knock on his door. Exactly. Okay. And that is very much... Uh, what how it works for me. I will frequently solve the problem by having to articulate it. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. And so we have a, a shorthand in the house. Um, I don't actually talk to an inert duck because um, 
that would be crazy. It, it would look bad, <laughs> really. Uh, but I will, I will go interrupt my husband, uh, and I will say, "Will you be my duck for a minute?" Okay, cool. All right, and he will cool. just sit and listen to me and let me right. try to articulate the problem. Yeah, that's will right. he active listen or just be like a. Like a, <laughs> a rubber like ducky. A crash test dummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rubber ducky. That's, yeah, that's, no, I think it it is active listening, but most often I don't actually want his suggestions. Right. You know, don't solve um, anything. Don't solve anything. Just listen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Huh. So so that's a that's a really great trick. I like that. It's, anybody can do that. It's really easy. You don't need anything, you don't need to buy anything, you just have to do it. Right. I, 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 you also mentioned in your notes that you do mind mapping things. For, yeah. Is, is this something similar or is this like a, would this actually be a tool that you use or is this part of that same kind of process? I use actually a, a tool. I don't know how, um, how clever I am in recommending it because I don't know that it is the best tool. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the one I've been using for a very long time. So I use something called Nova Mind Pro. Um, mm -hmm. And it is a software, a mind mapping software. Uh, and I will use it to brain dump when I am planning books or projects. Uh, and I like it because I can get everything out. Are, are you you're familiar? You clearly are familiar with uh, what a mind map is. But for anyone who isn't familiar with what a mind map is, um, I believe the purists really want you to do them uh, analog to draw them. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll you'll it's it's a it's a illustration sort of um, uh, of really radiant thinking. So you you'll put down in the center, maybe like draw a little cloud around it. You'll write the thing that you're trying to brainstorm. And then you can draw lines off of that thing and connect other little clouds or circles that you'll write in something else. Well, this idea is connected to this idea. And then you can draw lines connecting different ideas. And if creativity is defined by finding unexpected connections, um, I think that mind mapping is one of the, mess the most direct routes to creativity for me. And it also helps me. I I, when I talk to students, I, I, I talk about how there's this thing that happens when you have an idea in your head and you think that idea is so good and it's so perfect. And we have this tendency to overvalue ideas and undervalue the labor involved in mm -hmm. making those ideas into the projects, execution. right? And so, um, so everybody, especially like people in creative fields, when they're new, they have this thing where it's like, oh, you know, it's my idea, my precious idea. And like, I, I just don't think ideas are precious. I think you have, you know, 30 to 50 ideas a day, you just have to get in the practice of recognizing them. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you take that idea out of your head and you put it on paper, well, now, 
now you have some perspective on it, literally, right? It's like a foot from your face now. Now, as, as something moves away from your eye, you start to be able to see it better. And you can see the problems and you can see that that idea in your head wasn't maybe as perfect as you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And that can be painful. That's a, that's a hard part of the process because uh, it's so you feel so good about yourself when you have that great idea, right? You're like, ah, <laughs> oh, I'm a genius. This is so brilliant. Um, and then when you, when you see how there are actually holes in this idea or there are things about it that don't quite work, well, that's crushing because that means, oh, I, I actually I have to do stuff. <laughs> right? and, and right. does, I have to spend time uh, on this. Does the mind uh, mapping software help, help with that? I think it does. I think it is a good way of overcoming the reticence to put the thing on paper. Um, and it's a good way then once it is on paper or on a screen, as I have a tendency to do it, because I like to drag and drop and rearrange and erase mm-hmm. and rebuild. And that's easier for me to do on screen than it is with pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that helps overcome that initial, I don't want to put it out, out of my head because I know once I actually start this, I'm going to find the problems um, because it's just a, 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 like a shotgun blast of getting it out. And I find that really effective. Okay, cool. All right. So, and that's called Nova. It's called Nova Mind Pro, the Nova one that Mind I use. Pro. Okay. Not probe, but pro. Pro. It's, yeah. And it's free. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Oh, no, it's not free. It is not free, but I have had it for so long. <laughs> that that is become, free now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the per year okay. cost has dropped to nothing. Right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. that's a great suggestion. So, so tell us about um, a, another one of your tools that you were – wanted to share with us about plants. Yes. Um, So I have a a fairly substantial collection of houseplants at this point, and I very much enjoy them. Um, But they're a lot of work, and it is difficult to keep track of what needs what and when. Mm -hmm. And so I have discovered this little app called Planta, P-L-A-N-T-A. And uh, it is not free either, but I believe it is fairly inexpensive. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a free trial. Um, And there, I will say this in in the negative column, it takes a little while to set it up. I think Mm -hmm. it took me the better part of a Saturday to enter my whole collection. You have a lot of plants. I have a lot of plants. Right. And so this is, again, this is like a a app that's on your phone, right? It's It's on on my phone. phone. And Android and OS, iOS, I imagine. And um, so, so you were, you were kind of setting up this app on your phone. Yes. I set up my app. So what you do is uh, you go over to your plant and if you know the name of it, you can just enter it directly into My Plants. Um, if you don't know the name of it, you can take a picture of it, and the Planta Ooh. app will help you identify the plant. And then you answer some questions about it, including where it is. And the Planta app has a light meter, so it helps you determine what the light is in the location that you have the plant in. And it may tell you, oh, this plant needs more light than what you've got here. or um, 
less light or what, or this is a great spot for this one. It'll also tell you, oh, this is a difficult plant. We don't recommend this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, you can organize by site. So, you know, I want to look at all the plants I have in my southern window in my living room Um, or whatever. So you enter in all of these plants. Once you have them all entered in and you answer questions like, you know, did you repot it? When was the last time you watered it? Um, What kind of pot is it in? Because like if it's in a clay pot that breathes, it probably needs to be watered a little more often than Mm -hmm. if it's in a uh, ceramic pot that doesn't breathe as well because it's sealed. Uh, And so it will then, once you have everything done every day, you get a little to-do list. So rather than having to go around and check all of my plants, I have a list of plants that need watering, a list of plants that need fertilizer, a little list of plants that need misting, and a list of plants that I might want to take a progress photo of. Um, and it the the Saturday it took me to set it up was very time consuming. But the time it saves me going through, you know, I have, like I said, a sizable collection of plants. And I I don't, I probably spend 10 minutes on it a day walking around, checking the ones that say water, seeing if they actually need water, telling the app, you know, I watered it or nope, it doesn't actually need water. So I'm skipping it this time. Um, And then misting a few and then taking pictures of the ones that I might want to track their progress. I really need this. Do, do, do you know if it learns? Like if it keeps saying this plant needs water and you go and says, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Does it actually sort of learn from that and just tell you less often? Or is it, do you have any idea of whether it's learning? I don't think it is. And I will tell you why. And that is because I have one plant that is a, um, it's a Venus flytrap. It's actually my son's. And oh, I just got one of those. They're fun. They're yeah. super fun. Ours lives under a hurricane hurricane glass, though. And I don't have any way of telling the app that. Mm. And because it lives under a hurricane glass, it does not need watering with the frequency that it would otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it so I'm very often skipping that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's been going on for quite a while. So I don't think it learns. Right. Um, Would would the app work with, I don't know if they have like automatic uh, wireless moisture readers or things that would be in a plant. And so it could actually tell the app whether it was watered or not. That's probably like the next generation of those things. That would be amazing. Um, But I, I do, I'm, I'm, I have a relatively green thumb on my own, but I have to say I have never been good with ferns. I cannot mm-hmm. or could not keep ferns alive. And since having this app, um, uh, which is like the, the most testimonial thing I think I've ever <laughs> said, um, but I, I now have an absolutely beautiful lush fern right in my front hallway that I actually think I need to uh, repot soon because wow. 
Um, what yeah, a testimony. Okay, so you can do great. ferns now. Now, yeah. yeah. That's, that's so Kelly, so just quickly tell me what was what's the hard thing about ferns? Um, I I I don't know if I was underwatering or mm-hmm. overwatering. Mm-hmm. I I I am not sure, but mm-hmm. my I think I was probably underwatering because I'm always terrified of root rot. Yeah. Um, but my ferns would dry out and just get really sparse and ugly. And mm-hmm. and now um super lush and full and really beautiful. Well, cool. That's so and does it one other question, because I'm I've been starting to get a lot of plants. Does it do like herbs like oregano and basil and yeah um, i'm i'm sure it would uh i haven't added any of i only have one of my outside plants on it and it's because Mm -hmm. it was uh i have a i have a lemon tree that i have to move inside during the winter Mm -hmm. and then i move it outside in the warmer months um and so that's the only outside plant right now that i have on the app, I haven't added my herb garden outside or my vegetable garden outside, or I have a couple of potted maples as well. I haven't added okay. those to the app, but I'm fairly certain. I mean, it's pretty exhaustive. The database is really great. I'm so looking forward to this one. It's Planta. pretty fun. Yeah. Planta the app. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's really great. So, Thanks, um, Kelly Sue. Yeah, Kelly Sue. So tell us about your sewing tools. Um, so I am an amateur sewist, uh, which I, I do to relax, um, in the evenings, couple evenings a week. I don't get a ton of sewing time, so I don't do a lot of big projects. Um, but I really, really enjoy it. And I was thinking if I could recommend just one thing aside from the obvious, you know, you need to have a sewing machine, um, uh, it's it would be an edge stitch foot. Um, well, explain what an edge <laughs> stitch. I think we all kind of know what a sewing machine is. Yes. So um, I'll ask you a little bit later. Maybe you, the machine that you use, but would most sewing machines be able to take a edge stitch foot, or do you need a special sewing machine? Or no, almost any modern machine that you buy, you're going to be able to change the foot. Um, and there are all kinds of special leaflets that you can do. And if you get into the super fancy machines, there's like crazy amounts of special leaflets. Um, and I have a decent collection of them. You know, I, I have a, I have one that'll hold a button and then the machine will actually sew the button on, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Feet to help you install uh, an invisible zipper and feet to do Mm. buttonholes. Um, And Mm. those are all great to have. But the one I use as much, almost, I think, as I use the the regular (laughs) straight stitch foot is the edge stitch. And what that is, is frequently you will need to stitch right next to a fold or another seam. like really a millimeter away not on the Mm -hmm. not on the fold or or, what do you mean you can do that as well that's called stitching in the ditch okay um and you can also use the edge stitch foot for that um if 
you are listening to this and you're in front of your computer and you can click on the link and hmm. open up what the uh, what the edge stitch foot looks like. I will try to describe it for you. Uh, a presser foot or a uh, uh, yeah, a presser foot on a sewing machine um, looks a little bit like a spatula, and the edge stitch foot looks like a spatula that on the side of it has, at a 90-degree angle to it, another spatula, and that acts as a guide, and that runs along whatever you're trying to stitch next the- to. The edge, the edge yes. of that. Okay, making that's, that's it where the edge comes from. very okay. easy for you to guide your fabric and stay like really, really close, um, a millimeter from or even in the ditch. Um, so it's just fantastic. It saves a lot of time, a lot of pulling out stitches that you messed up. Um, it's really, so what really would you, great. what would you use it for? Uh, you're, you're trying to do what, and what is it? Are you trying to make a hem or are you trying to do, I mean, I mean, you can do it. I, I mean, you do it on a hem. You do it multiple times in almost any garment that you're making. So like I, I made a dicky last night. You know what a dicky is? Like a turtleneck kind of? This fake wasn't a turtleneck. Turtle? It was a collared shirt dicky. Okay. But it's, uh, so it's like a I fake that. shirt that goes right. underneath another garment. Okay. So, um, so you sort of, it looks like you're wearing maybe a sweater over top of a full collared shirt, but really you're just wearing this little collar thing. Those are cool. Yeah. Um, they're a lot of fun. And, um, and I made one last night and there was a ton of edge stitching involved. Um, so especially when you're doing something like a, a tailored cotton garment where those edges are very crisp, like on a collar. Mm-hmm. On a collar, frequently, you'll see that there's a line of stitching all around the edges of that mm-hmm. collar. Um, on a button placket, there's frequently edge stitching on the top right next to the side of the placket. Um, cuffs have edge stitching. They can be really just about anywhere. Um, but it's that it's that line of stitching that's right next to the edge. And so the idea of, of this foot as maybe your normal foot is that there is a kind of a an actual physical guide exactly. that keeps you help you guide the fabric to, to maintain that very narrow yeah. um, difference. And that's what it's doing is physically is trying to keep it there. Exactly. Because, you know, as you're guiding the fabric normally, you might shift or wander a millimeter or two and you really won't notice it. Right. But in in the center of it, you know, in in a a center seam, a garment, uh, a seam on the side or, you know, the the underarm seam or whatever, you're not going to notice that much variance. Um, But on the edge stitch, you really need to be very, very exact. Right. In in woodworking, we would call it like a you'd have a saw and you have a fence. This is sort of like a little fence for the foot that the the material runs along. So that's yeah, really that cool. makes a lot of sense. So um, you this um, edge stitch foot that we have a link to goes to a, a Berina? Uh, Bernina. 
Bernina mm-hmm. uh, sewing machine. Is that the kind of sewing machine that you have? And do you recommend it as better than others? I do, but I will say it is a little embarrassing. It is way too big a gun for me for as little as I sew. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is a extraordinary machine. Um, my mother-in-law gifted it to me. I crazy love it. Um, but which one I, do you have? I know that they make a lot of different ones. And yeah, I have the, the pictures. They seem to have like a little computer screen on them. They do. I have the 475 quilters edition. Mm, quilters, um, okay. And yeah, it is the, the I had a, a white machine uh, for about 30 years. <laughs> Uh, it was just a, a workhorse, a really not fancy, entirely mechanical machine that I never had any problems with. And I still have it. Um, and I did have some hesitation going to a machine that was computerized because you, now there's other things to break down. <laughs> yes. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that's been a little bit of a concern. But I have to say, just for for what it can do and the quality and the speed that it does it in, it, it's boy, I sure do love it. Um, but yeah, there's a little computer screen. I can tell I can tell it to uh, automatically make a buttonhole. I tell it how big the button is, how big I want the buttonhole to be, um, and then I just change to the the buttonhole foot. Uh, lower the presser foot in the position that I want it in and hit go and it does the buttonhole and that's it. Right. So, so, so one of my recurring problems with sewing machines is like you, if, even the fancy ones, you seem to have to still thread the thing that go through. Oh, this is an automatic threader. Oh, this, this is an automatic threader. Well, I think you've sold me there. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> I think you sold, because that was always this, I mean, each time I go and I kind of forget, Oh, where does it go? <laughs> and so, but automatic threader meaning like it just like does it automatically. Well, so there's a, you, you put the thread on the machine and there's guides printed on the machine. It's like, okay. It goes here, there's a number one here, and then number two here, number three. But then when you get down to the needle, mm. there's a you hook the thread into the threader, cut it, and then release the lever, and oh, it automatically wow. threads the needle. Okay. And if you forget how to do it, that little screen that's on the front of the machine uh-huh. We'll play sure, a video sure. for you, walking uh, you through the process. <laughs> nice. Okay, <Yeah. laughs> that's my speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. What I want is a bobbinless sewing machine. Mm. <laughs> okay, the bobbin no. always. Uh, I, I like screwed up the timing on a, a, an expensive um, sewing machine, trying to wind a bob bobbin the wrong way. And well, that, the difference on. This one with the bobbin is first of all, it has jumbo bobbins, mm-hmm. so uh, it oh, holds that's nice. a ton of thread, so you don't have to mm-hmm. refill that bobbin as often, which is uh-huh. nice. And also, uh, you can't do it backwards because the bobbin has one side that is that's metal and one side mm. that 
isn't, and it will only go in one way. Nice. Wow. Uh, okay, so so you're, you're you're really doing a great job of convincing me that this. Is, <laughs> so my question would be: There's all these different kinds, like you know, there's dozens and dozens of these Bernina machines. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? Do you have a quilting machine because you're doing a lot of quilts, or was you thought the quilting machine was sort of the best for the general kinds of things you wanted to do? I don't quilt. I don't quilt at all. <laughs> so okay. I chose the that model because it did an awful lot of specialty stitching that I might want to do, um, and was within my rather generous budget from my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. So just, just to kind of, so we're not shocked, What? Uh, how much do they cost? Well, I bought that and a serger at the same time. And what's a serger? Um, a serger is what's called, it's an overlock machine, and it has... So, so with a with a regular sewing machine, you have the bobbin thread on the on the underside, and then you have the uh, the thread thread. There's probably another name for it um, from the top. So you're, you've got the stitch that you're making is interlocking those two stitches or those two threads, right? Um, an underneath thread and an overtop thread. With a, a serger, there are four threads. There are two underneath and two on the top. And um, if you look at whatever garment you're wearing right now, um, if you are wearing a, a, a t-shirt or any kind of knit garment, um, if you turn over the bottom hem, there's probably um, a thick line of stitching along the edge of the garment that you're wearing um, that looks kind of decorative and it's very stretchy. And that's an overlock stitch. And that's what a stitcher, what, that's what a, uh, a serger does. Okay, cool. So Kelly, so just in the interest of time, Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about your book. And if we have time, we'll go back to your your coffee mug. Sure. But uh, I want to hear about your Wonder Woman book that you're doing for DC. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It is a history of the Amazons from the perspective of the Amazons. And yeah, I pitched it really big. I pitched it to be... um, a Homerian epic with a woman at the center that begins with the goddesses conceiving of the idea of the Amazons and ends where Wonder Woman's story traditionally begins, which is with Steve Trevor landing on the beach. I pitched it to be nine issues, uh, nine 64 page issues, which to be collected in three, um, volumes and Mm -hmm. we are at this point approved for the first three so we'll see how it goes but um uh the first book will be coming out october 19th my partner uh is phil jimenez and he is extraordinary and he is doing really and truly the work of his career it is uh, just absolutely astonishingly beautiful um, the second volume is being done by Jean Ha. It is also extraordinary, beautiful, extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, and the 
or the the second book rather, and the third mm-hmm. book is being done by uh, Nicholas Scott. Um, so these are all accomplished, incredible comic book artists and uh, people who are really invested in the mythology and the Amazons. And you know, the, there there are Easter eggs on every page. It is lush. Every time I post any kind of tease or image from it, people are like, wait, is that's an interior image and not a cover? I'm like, oh my yep, God. It's an exci- interior. So this is going to be, this is going to be a series of, of like floppies. Like- yeah. It'll come out in it, but oversized floppies. So they will be actually mm-hmm. larger the the, the DC oh, cool. black label size. So they're oversized mm-hmm. both, you know, in the, in the regular dimensions and the, the issues are 64 pages a piece. So nice. it will not be monthly. It'll be seasonally instead. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, and your, your role is you're writing the story of it then? I write it, yes. Okay. This is like major. How exciting. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. And the, the whole notion was that, you know, the, the classic history is written by the victors, right? And then in, mm-hmm. in the war between the Amazons and the world of men, the world of men won. And so mm-hmm. you think you know the history of the Amazons, but what you know is not their history. And it, and it, it begins with oh, a kind man. of tabula rasa thing. So it begins with a blank page mm-hmm. because it's, it's, the idea is, look, there is no such thing as a objective history. But mm-hmm. so this is neither that one nor this one, but this one is ours. Hmm. How exciting. That's wow. so cool, Kelly Sue. Thanks. So when can we expect the first issue to hit the stands? That drops on October 19th, and you can find your local comic book store um, by going to comicshoplocator.com, uh, and you can pre-order it probably through your, your local com- nice. comic book shop. But um, if you don't have a comic book shop, uh, there is a store here in Oregon called Books with Pictures, Eugene, and I think um, I can send you the link to this. Mm-hmm. And if you order a copy from them through the mail, I will sign it and or personalize it for you for free. Oh, man. Yeah. And Books with Pictures opened. There There were a new shop that opened literally the week of the pandemic shutdown. So they have really had a difficult birth into the world and they have remained upbeat and enthusiastic and tremendous uh, uh, comic lovers and sellers. And so anything that I can do to support this shop, I'm really excited to do. Absolutely. That sounds so cool. Okay. So um, what is, what is the title going to be? (laughs) The title does not trip off the tongue. The title is, uh, uh, Wonder Woman Historia the Amazons. Okay. Wonder uh, Woman Historia the Amazons. Yes. Great. Okay. That's that, really that cool. Trips nicely off my tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so give us a one minute version of the Ember Coffee Mug, what it is and, and why you like it. Okay. I um, love coffee. I drink coffee all day. I'm a fast metabolizer of caffeine. So I don't have a problem with caffeine keeping me up unless I literally drink it right next to bed. Um, But I have difficulty with, I will try to, I will nurse a cup for a while. And so I have a tendency for my coffee to go 
lukewarm and I drink my coffee black and lukewarm black coffee is really nasty. Uh, and so my, my husband who is always trying to give me coffee presents, um, got me this ember mug, uh, which I was like, I don't know how this is different from a hot plate. It's just going to burn the bottom of my coffee. This is ridiculous. I don't need this. (laughs) Um, and I love it. Wow. That's great. Don't you love it when it's something you don't really expect you're going to like, and then it becomes like a part of your life? Yes. It sinks to my phone. I put what does it look in, like? It, it looks like a coffee mug that has a matching um, saucer. And it has uh, a little light at the bottom so that you can tell it's actually an electronic device. Um, You can't put it in the dishwasher. You do have to hand wash it, but it syncs to my phone. I put in what temperature I like to have my coffee at, which is 135 degrees. Uh, And then it uh, uh, adjusts. So as I'm drinking the coffee down, rather than just applying a a consistent level of heat to the coffee, it adjusts to keep that coffee at 135 degrees. Wow. Oh, man. That's so, so amazing. It doesn't burn it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't, when you get down to the bottom, it doesn't get really hot. You know, it mm-hmm, stays mm-hmm. consistent exactly where you want it. And it's magnificent. Well, that is cool. Do you have any idea how much it costs? Um, I think like too much. I think you probably shouldn't. <laughs> Spins. Well, it's a gift, so. Um, yeah. Oh, it's about $100. Okay. Okay. For something you use every day? I literally use it every day, yes. That's, that's mm-hmm. well worth it. Yes. Kelly Sue, this has been a blast talking to you. Thank you so much. Yay, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Hey, everybody. It's Mark from the Cool Tools Podcast. I want to thank you for being a listener to Cool Tools. And I also would like to let you know about our Patreon page. If you would like to support the Cool Tools show, as well as our video channel, the website, and all the newsletters that we do, you can go to patreon.com slash cool tools, that's just one word, cool tools, and pledge any amount you want. You could even pledge a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. We have editors, we pay for transcribing costs, we pay our reviewers. Every bit of money that you contribute goes towards supporting the show. I'd like to give a shout out to our supporters of the Cool Tools podcast. This week, I'd like to thank the following Patreon supporters. Bill Schuler, Bob Kay, Ryan Pelly, Carl D. Patterson, Chad Cosby, Chris Wheland, Chris Weirstook, Craig Tooker, Dan O'Brien, Dean Putney, Danelle Cunningham, Evan Barker, Graham Medlin, Hans Riesbeck, Helen Hegedus, Jerry Kearns, Jim Lesko, Jim Spofford, John Pollock, John Burdenbaugh, Keith O, Ken Altman, Les Howard, Lauren Bast, Mock Nerd, Malton Make, Mark Goebel, Matt Gromes, Michael Douglas, Michael Jones, and Michael Pecorini. Thanks to all of you for supporting the Cool Tools Show. We really appreciate it. 